Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One's for the birds, this one's for the city. This one for the fans that bleed green with me. Push down to 95 to the right is the link. With a team pulling up, knowing that they're getting beat. Exit Broad Street, right on Patterson. Xfinity Live, CBP, what's happening? Dub F Lot, stop by F1. Fly, Eagles fly, you hear the song getting sung? What team in the league is number one? Bird gang, bird gang, yeah, I said it twice. You heard me say it once, now you sure you heard it right. No lies being told, yeah, it's all facts. It ain't me. Brenda Kelly, we don't rock with that. No. Any given Sunday, we don't ever slack. No. Yeah, we got an SP, time to run the back. Yeah. And even on the road, yeah, we taking over. Back. All you see is see a green like you at the Nova. Can't let your bunch of squad, bro, it's only us. A cheesesteak tailgate, yeah, we good, bro. Beer pong, baptism, you already know. Con shot, tomato pie, bring three or four. After every bird gang, you know where to be. Fourth of John, NBC, in the heart of Philly. About the birds, about the birds, all about the birds. E rock, yeah, find this Hollywood. Here we go, broadcasting live from NBC Sports Philadelphia Studios in the heart of the Wells Fargo Center. Welcome to Fourth and John, episode 112. Hey guys, how you doing? Enjoying your day? Hanging in there on a Tuesday? Doing the best you can? Appreciate you tuning in to Fourth and John. Hey, remember in week two against the Falcons, how everyone mysteriously got hurt, and then when the chips were down, the wide receivers couldn't make a play for the win? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Hey, remember in week three, how we couldn't pressure the quarterback, we had two costly turnovers, and once again, the wide receivers could not make a play for the win? You remember that? I do. Hey! You remember in week six against the Minnesota Vikings when we forgot how to run the ball and the defensive backfield couldn't figure out how to cover leftovers with Saran Wrap and they made they made Kirk Cousins look like Joe Montana and Peyton Manning had a dorky looking baby? Hey! You remember in week seven against the Dallas Cowboys where we had two for, uh, four turnovers and fumbled and intercepted and punted their way to a 37 37- to 10 defeat you remember that i do guess what boys and girls bad news things have gotten worse i fully expected the adversity that this team went through early on in the season that they would rebound and start to get better but things have gotten worse especially in the last two games home games Lincoln Financial Field. Games that you know full well you have to win at least one of these games to keep your playoff hopes alive. And the competition were the two best teams that you were going to face all season. Superior teams in talent and in health. And guess what? They played down to their competition. They didn't bring their A game. They brought, at best, their C-plus game. And all the Philadelphia Eagles could do is get in the end zone once. Once. I hate to be 
negative Nelly right at the top of the show. I hate to be Mr. Doom and Gloom. I hate to be a rain cloud on your sunny day. And I hate to be, and I'm going to put this as nicely as possible because I know the peacock is watching and I don't want to get in trouble, but I don't want to be that dude that relieves himself in your Cheerios. <laughs> but I'm speaking for myself and myself only. I'm done talking about the playoffs. I'm done talking. I realize that the Philadelphia Eagles got some cupcake games ahead of them against some really bad teams, and mathematically, they aren't out of it. I know full well that the Dallas Cowboys have some tough opponents coming up, and we're only a game, game and a half really, but only a game behind them. But I'm speaking for myself and myself only, and I am done talking about the playoffs when it comes to this Philadelphia Eagles team. Forget the record. Forget what the Cowboys are doing. Forget what Jerry Jones' comments were after the New England Patriots game. I can't even enjoy Cowboys' misery at this point. I can't do it. I'm done talking about it. Because when you remove the record, when you remove the green out of the jerseys, when you remove the wings off of the helmet... I'm having trouble justifying that this is a playoff team. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to look at it positively, but I just can't see it. What part of this team and their injury report says playoffs? I'm struggling to figure it out. What part of this team and releasing Jordan Matthews, who two weeks ago was hired off the street to bolster your wide receiving core, led all wide receivers in snaps, and then got waived. What part of that says playoffs? What part of five turnovers against the Seattle Seahawks in a game where the defense kept you in that game says playoffs? What part of putting Andre Dillard at right tackle, a rookie... Who, knew, who you knew full right and well was uncomfortable with the job, said it in the media, says playoffs to you. I'll take it away from the Eagles. I'll rephrase this entire thing. What about five and six says playoffs? Are the Bears a playoff team? No. Are the Panthers a playoff team? Get ready for this one, Gail. Are the Cleveland Browns a playoff team? Well, guess what, bruh? They got the same exact record, same exact record as you do, as your Philadelphia Eagles. I am done talking about the playoffs, and I did not want to come on this mic. I did not want to come on the studio and start with this negative nonsense right away. But as most Eagles fans are, just like me, the ones listening to this on iTunes, the ones that are watching right now on Facebook and YouTube, you are emotionally invested in this football team. And it's affecting you. Because right now, guys, I'm coping with a little bit of football depression. And I'm not taking it well. Mr. Gail Saunders, Eagle Sessions on Twitter, how are you handling this? I guess we're, I guess we're sharing in the depression here. Because, uh, you know, life will, you know, hand you lemons. You've, you look to your Eagles to... You know, spruce things up around here, but it, it, it's been rough last couple weeks. Uh, and we're gonna start with the offense. The offense has been downright offensive, offensive. Before that garbage touchdown um, in the fourth quarter, I mean, we're talking about 25 straight possessions with one touchdown, one 
touchdown. Like, obviously, yeah, that one didn't even count. Obviously, Carson Wentz, um, you're missing some we- weapons um, altogether. Around six starters on offense, um, but your you, your timing's been off. Your mechanics have been off. Uh, your confidence has been off. You've been turning the ball over. I mean, the last six games, we're, we're talking about nine turnovers. And in this last game, four turnovers. Uh, well, five turnovers, turnovers altogether as a group, but those three turnovers were turned into points by the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, I've watched Carson Wentz every single snap since his start of his career at the link. Uh, and there's been, a, you know, there's been some highs and there's been some lows and we're at rock bottom. Last week, I thought, I, I thought the, uh, the, the fans in the stands were 50-50 on, on Carson, where they stood. This, this past weekend, this is the first time that I've seen the whole entire stadium turn on Carson Wentz. Rightfully so for his play, but we expect more from this, this fan base expects more because we know that what you bring to the table and we know what you can do because we've seen it. You know, there, there's situations where you have to make better decisions, hit your check down, don't turn the ball over. We need you to be smarter. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to be smarter. And when your defense comes out the last two weeks and plays lights out, you know, you, uh, a Patriots team averaging 28 points a game, you're holding a 17. The Seahawks, uh, with another MVP caliber quarterback, averaging 28 points, you're holding them to 17. Your defense is doing everything they possibly can to keep you in the game. And Doug Peterson, I need better from you, bro. I mean, we're we're one score away from taking this game. Having uh, Carson Wentz last week pass 48 times, and now we're back to 45 or 50 times this week. We've said over and over on, on this podcast, running the ball is the recipe. That is one of your strengths. Obviously, you had some guys out. But obviously, Miles Sanders was averaging five yards a carry plus. Mm-hmm. Stick to your strengths. You've become predictable. You've become uh, f- found out. You're talking about K.J. Wright, talking about he knew exactly what uh, the Eagles were doing. They were calling out plays. This is something that's gone over and over the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, we have to get healthy. Uh, we have a game of uh, five five games left here. Which Eagle team are we going to see? We haven't seen identity from this offense. I've seen a little bit of heart from this defense. So let's put up or shut up because it's, it's, it's time. Well, well, well said, Gail, and I, I completely agree with you. The defense, if we're going to take away, uh, I don't know, a moral victory out of this whole thing, it was the fact that the defense kept them in, a game, in the game and kept them in position. Like, look, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. He's the GOAT. You were down by one touchdown. All you needed was one touchdown at the end of the game. One drive. One drive. Same thing with Russell Wilson and the and, and Seattle Seahawks. You're not going to contain Russell Wilson the entire game. The dude's in the MVP hunt. But the defense did enough to put the offense in position to win. But every time the Eagles got the ball, whether they were on their side of the field or on the Seahawks' side of the field, that end zone might as well have been as far away as Oregon Avenue. It felt a mile away because you had zero confidence that this Philadelphia Eagles team was going to be able to score 
just a touchdown, just to get him back into the game. There was no confidence there, and you could see it in the offense. You could feel it in the crowd. It was palpable. The offense is on the field. Nobody thinks that they're actually going to be able to pull it off. Evan Hollywood Hearn, how are you doing? I'm doing just how you guys are doing. I'm doing just how everybody else in the city is doing, watching this team just collapse in front of us. Um, a few weeks ago, you came on this podcast, and you said you pointed things out, and you said that this is an average team. And to be honest with you, after watching that game, I wish we were an average team because we're below average at this point. We um, we have hit rock bottom. We're trying – in that last game, it felt like we were trying our hardest to break through the floor. Um, there's just so many there's so, there's so many factors that go into why we're playing the way that we're playing. You can't point it at one single solitary thing. You can't ignore the fact that we've we've had the injury bug. You can't ignore the fact that Carson's missing throws. You can't ignore the fact that people are underperforming on the offensive end. Um, and the one thing that I thought about uh, after watching this game is, and like I I want you guys to understand and grasp what I'm saying here before we we run with it. When we were making the comparisons, and I hate this argument between the whole Wentz versus full thing, everyone said, that, use the eye test. Everyone agreed, and I agree still, that Carson Wentz, when you use the eye test, he's a better quarterback than Nick Foles. You need to use the eye test with this team and, to, and be honest with yourself about what they are. They're just not playing well. And, I mean, Carson has regressed this year. It's been tough to watch. Um, I don't know... I don't know if it really even matters how well they play against these uh, these you know bottom yeah. of the of the league teams for the rest of the season because quite honestly, even if we were to find a way to sneak into the playoffs, what does that mean? This team isn't doing anything. No, this, no. This this is a mediocre at best team uh, from the coaching staff to the players all the way up to the front office that didn't give them the right personnel to provide a uh, a quality squad. And and there's a lot that has gone wrong today. There's a lot of arguing on the timeline, who's the blame, who, who deserves more piece of the blame. And we're going to get into a lot of it during this episode. And it's almost tough to start and point at something and say, okay, this is where we will begin. Because there is so much going on with this team. This 2019 season is like the Murphy's Law season. Because damn near everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It continues to go wrong. You think it's going to get better. And guys, look at it. It's November. Thanksgiving, which by the way, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Not a whole lot to be thankful for, but I hope you enjoyed the time with your family. It's Thanksgiving. Like there are five games left. Everybody, a lot of people were tweeting me, right? In, in my mentions. Rock, we need another uh, fix-it video. We need another fit. Make another fix-it video. We need to see another fit. Fix what? <laughs> fix what? In order to make a fix-it video, you have to believe that something is fixable. And I'm not sure this season. I take that back. I'll, I'll back that up. This season is not fixable. I think this team is fixable, but they're going to need a lot of off-season work. And I'm confident that they can do it and come back stronger this next year. But as far as this year is concerned, dude, it's a wrap. I hate saying it. Whoa. It's a wrap. What do you mean? It's a wrap. You got, you got to take old Yeller behind the shed, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, what, again, what part about this team says to you, based upon that eyeball test playoff team? Let's start it out with Carson Wentz. Let's start with Let's have the really difficult conversation right at the top. Carson Wentz. Because I, I had to be in, uh, 
Westchester today, early on in the morning, right? Uh, and then I had to drive. I live about an hour and a half away from Philadelphia. So I, I drove down there in the morning, drove back to do some show prep, back to Jersey, and then I drove back down here. So I've had a lot of time to kind of stew and think. Uh, you know, soak. And, so, and soak it in and think about it and, uh, you know, ter- drive with the radio off and, and, and really try to digest what's going on with Carson Wentz. What's your biggest fear about Carson Wentz? Because clearly he has regressed. And I look at his physical talent and I say it's not the physical talent. I still see flashes of that. I still look back at that 2017 season. And it's not like the dude went to sleep one night and the talent gnomes came in, stole all his physical talent, and then left. All right? The physical talent hasn't disappeared. All right, so so what is it? Is, is, Is it his leadership? You hear... People in the locker room talk about his leadership and what what kind of attitude he brings and the chemistry with the locker room. Our dude, Real Prince Blue on Twitter had an amazing tweet, which I did all the finger emojis pointing down to. And that was Russell Wilson went through this about a year or two ago. You remember that? People were doubting Russell Wilson. Is he a leader? Is he a true leader? Is the locker room responding to him? And what did they do? They got rid of all the malcontents and all the, all, the, all the little cancers in the locker room. And once again, it is Russell Wilson's team. So his leadership and his attitude and his character isn't, isn't a concern to me. So what is the concern? The concern is between the left ear and the right ear and everything in between. Because I've seen quarterbacks, young, up-and-coming, high-draft-pick quarterbacks lose their mental state of mind over less pressure than Carson Wentz. I'm thinking about all the adversity that this guy has had to go through in his brief four years in this league, and I'm not sure I've ever seen, and this is not the green-colored goggles, I'm not sure I've seen a quarterback go through the same type of adversity. Think about it. High draft pick. The Eagles gave up all those draft assets to go get him. Showed flashes in his rookie year, right? He's a starter right out the get. They trade Sam Bradford. The Super Bowl, he's in the M- the, the Super Bowl year, he's in the MVP consideration, taking the league by storm. He's being talked about the way that Lamar Jackson is being talked about this year, and Patrick Mahomes is being talked about the year before. And then he goes down with a knee injury. And another quarterback brings his team to the Super Bowl. They're building shrines to him. There's a statue outside of Lincoln Financial Field. But they get rid of that quarterback, right? He he goes down the parade. He holds up the Lombardi Trophy. He's got himself a ring. Does it really feel like his ring? We talked about it uh, last year. You could see him at the after party. You could see him in the interviews after the Super Bowl. He felt like he should have been there. And then the next year, he's pushing too hard. What happens, Gail? Broke his back. He broke his back. So now you have two debilitating injuries back to back now during that same year where he's having a broken back and and I think for the most part trying to hide it from the medical staff hence making it worse because he's scared there's a backup behind him right Nick Foles is still behind him he's got hit pieces coming out about him about his character about people in the locker room not thinking that he's the guy And then they get rid of Nick Foles. They sign him to the big contract. He comes in this year. Again, he's pressing too hard. I've seen lesser men crack 
under that kind of pressure. Am I right or am I wrong? 100%. Yeah. And I think to myself, what... If I was Jeffrey Lurie, if I was Doug Peterson, if I was Howie Roseman, and I wanted somebody that Carson Wentz could relate to, just somebody to talk it out with, somebody that, that that he could relate to, who could call Carson Wentz right now and talk to him? And I think to myself, oh, well, I mean, you know, RG3 kind of took the league by storm the first year that he and he had a debilitating injury, but no, nah, you know, you know what? That that's that, that's not really it. That's not really it, because that was kind of like RG3 was like a one-hit wonder. And I don't know, it's not him. It's not him. Could it be Steve Young? All right, here's a guy who lived in the shadow of a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But you know that that quarterback kind of won those Super Bowls prior to him. And uh, you know, he had to kind of live in the shadow and learn and wait for his turn. So no, it's it, it's not Steve Young. Hmm. Maybe it's Phil Sims, right? Jeff Hostetler had to fill in for Phil Sims. And he went off and won a Super Bowl. And how did that make Phil Sims? Actually, you know what? Phil Sims already won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl, so that's not it. And it, I came to the realization that there is not one quarterback in the history of the NFL that can relate to what Carson Wentz is going through. And if he can bounce back from this, it, it, is, it is such a story of resilience. But my, the, the thought process that I had was I've seen more talented quarterbacks not more talented, I'm sorry, talented quarterbacks, high draft picks, take the league by storm, something happens to them that's less than what Carson Wentz has to go through, and they cracked. They were never the right way between the years after that. Gail, is that a a concern for you? I mean, the concern is, um, you know, like, I'm I'm wondering what the the locker room dynamic is. That's one thing I start to question about um, Carson Wentz and the receivers he has around him. Uh, you know, you look at Alshon Jeffrey, I, I, you look at like uh, an Aaron Rodgers and a uh, Jordy Nelson and a, a back shoulder fade relationship. They're, you know, they just seem connected at the hip. Um, I, I would like to see Carson Wentz, I, I, the leadership aspect, I think Carson Wentz really needs to take the reins. He has to take over the locker room. And you, you, you alluded to it, like if you, don't, you have guys around him that are not going to make him feel comfortable. You, got, you get those guys out of the locker room because mm. it's Carson Wentz's team, whether you like it or not, Foles Nation, but it, this is Carson Wentz's team. What a, what a, the other thing that concerns me about Carson and Doug Peterson and their relationship is how can Doug Peterson not have a hold on the 12 plays that Carson Wentz likes to run? How does he not um, put his quarterback in a position to win when they won? They were on a Super Bowl run with him. Um, he knows Carson by it's the fourth year. Mm. Um, that when to use tempo, when to not, when to not get his quarterback in the rhythm. It's concerning to me that they have not put weapons around him um, at this moment. I mean, obviously guys got hurt, but you know Howie Roseman. I mean, you 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 brought in Jordan Jordan uh, Matthews and got rid of him. Mm. You know Greg Ward has been sitting on the bench for. I mean, he was more productive than any of the receivers that he's had. Mac Hollins. I mean, these are the kind of guys you're surrounded. You're like I said about Doug Peterson. You're you're surrounded by the five people, uh, and the five people surrounding Carson Wentz at this moment aren't aren't living up to par. Absolutely not. You know what, Doug Peterson, Spencer. We can get that Doug Peterson clip kind of fired up for for the longest time and 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 maybe i've said it on air prime maybe you can you can help me out here because I, I don't go back and listen to the show so a lot of times i'll forget what i do and don't 
say on the air, I'll forget what conversations we have on microphone and what conversations I have in my head. Sometimes they blend together. <laughs> but for the longest time, I've been trying to figure out like JJ Ortega Whiteside. Why is he not being targeted? Why is the offense voluntarily taking half the field away because Mac Hollins and JJ Ortega Whiteside are on the field? And Doug Peterson had something interesting to say because a lot of this stuff has to do with like play design, right? Mm. Some plays are just designed to go to one of two or three guys, right? Mm -hmm. So Doug Peterson had this to say during the press conference on Monday. Your thoughts on the, the marriage of, of scheme and quarterback? What, what strengths have you identified with, with Carson and how have, has the offense kind of been tailored to fit that? His strengths um, <clears throat> and what we do as an offense sometimes uh, you love you love concepts where you have you have half you know half, I don't want to say full field concepts but half field concepts where guys are you know vertical concepts for instance down the field uh, with with um, maybe a third element coming coming into his vision uh, those are all things that he's successful with. Um, Obviously, the quick passing game, being able to throw slants, being able to throw the ball to the flat, uh, the RPO game, he's very successful at that. Uh, and so those are the things that as as we construct these game plans, you know, we think about them. We got to think about our personnel and what we have, obviously, that week going into the game and, and try to have as many of those concepts, you know, in that plan against that opponent. Through all that bumbling, stumbling, rumbling, and trying to struggle his way through that answer, did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch Spence? Play that one more time if you can. Cue it up for me one more time. Just the beginning. I'll tell you when to stop. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Go. Your thoughts on the, the marriage of, of scheme and quarterback? What, what strengths have you identified with, with Carson, and how have, has the offense kind of been tailored to fit that? His strengths um, <clears throat> and what we do as an offense sometimes uh, you love you love concepts where you have you have half you know half, I don't want to say full field concepts but half field concepts where guys are you know vertical concepts for instance down the field. Stop it right there, guys. You know me. I'm not a big X and O guy. I don't sit there and break down the film. I'm not Fran Duffy. Duffy. You know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm not that smart. But I've watched a lot of football. I've, read, I've been around this team for a lot of years. What in the hell is a half-field concept? Now, I know, I know that there are play designs that are meant to go to one side or the other or meant to be, target only a couple receivers. What the hell is a half-field concept? Why are you voluntarily taking half? We, for years, Gail, on this podcast have wondered why... Carson Wentz is staring down the receiver, staring down the receiver, telegraphing the throw. Is this what we're dealing with right now, a half-field concept? And by proxy, if it isn't indeed, like, I don't know what a half-field concept is, I'm shooting from the hip. I'm going to assume that means that the target's only one side of the field. One side of the field, which means you are voluntarily taking away the other half of the field. And if you're voluntarily taking away one half of the field, you are going to put your best weapons, your best receivers, your best targets on the side of the field that's going to be targeted. Am I right or, or am I right or am I wrong? So if you see Mac Hollins and JJ lined up on one side of the field, 
you're automatically assuming it's a half-field concept. It ain't going to that side. Ben, you, help me out here. Am I wrong on this? A critical component in supplementing a progression re-passing game. That, oh, you Googled it? Yeah, I had to Google it because I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it Give before. me that answer one more time. <laughs> a critical component in supplementing a progression re-passing game. So what that says to me, I don't want to say it out loud. Gail, you say it. I don't want to say it out loud. You say it. Go ahead. I don't want to say it. <laughs> You're on to something. I don't want to say it. Carson Wentz is having trouble reading the field. Carson Wentz is having trouble going through his progressions. I'm watching the game. I'm watching Lamar Jackson last night go through progressions. Andy Reid offense. First, first tier, like his reads were deep, middle, short. I saw Carson Wentz look off a of safety once during that game. And it was it was the ball was intercepted. Yeah, I mean, and, and some of those plays where he's getting taking sacks, there's guys open like I've, on the other side of the field you, that if, apparently I mean, isn't part of the concept. I mean, if you've been listening to me, I've been talking about the check down for years now with Carson. This inability to hit those check downs when they're built in to save you in moments of your past three seconds. That's way too long, dude. Like at four seconds, it's alarming that if you have the ball. You have to. He he knows better at this point. Um, so I mean, like Carson has got to be a better football player. He, I like I in the beginning of the show I said be smarter, and these are moments where you be smart with the football, be smart with what you're seeing. If you are in trouble, hit the check down, and if not, throw the ball away. Don't take sacks. Evan, here's what I got to say about the whole half field concept sort of situation. I can break it down even further. We have got ourselves not in a half left and right concept. Let's break it down into quarters. He's only throwing the ball short. So we've got a quarter field concept is what's actually going on. I went back and I, I looked at the stats of all the throws he's made this year. He has two 30-yard-plus uh, completed passes all year. Both of them were touchdowns to Deshaun Jackson week one. Aside from that, there was two 20-yard uh passes that were actually completed aside from the huh was that the miles sanders yeah yeah and um so what i'm saying is those four plays are the only 20 plus yard plays all year long so if you're only if you're relegating carson to one side of the field or he's relegating himself to one side of the field it's not only just that one side it's that side and short that's all you've got you've got no vertical game whatsoever and it's running backs and tight ends that's yeah. all it is catching it, running so backs and tight ends. How, how easy is that to defend when we can break it down that simply? And you wonder why the Seattle Seahawks linebackers are calling out plays and know where the ball's going. It's because you are voluntary. Now, who is that damning right there? When you see Doug Peterson step up there and say half-field concept, is he doing it? Is it Carson's fault because he can't go through his progressions? I don't, I don't want to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or is it because... Doug Peterson just thinks about like I can't help but harken back to like the West Coast offense, right? It was made famous by Bill Walsh out there in San Francisco, but really it was a design by Paul Brown when he was coaching for the Cincinnati Bengals because he he developed that system out of necessity. For those of you who aren't familiar with the West Coast offense, to to oversimplify it, it's basically using the short passing game to supplement the run. It's using uh, you know, your tight ends in a, tight end, uh, in a specific tight end tree. It's using the screen game. It's using your running backs. It's using short passes to supplement the run. And the reason why Paul Brown designed this offense, which then Bill Walsh mastered, 
was because his quarterback had a noodle arm. He had to do it. The dude couldn't get the... He had an arm like Chad Pennington, but worse. He couldn't get the ball down the field. So he had to develop the system. Is now is Doug Peterson developing a half-field concept because Carson can't... Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I mean, but you're, talk, you're talking about the weapons that he has. I mean, the, the, the weapons that he has, compare those to the rest of the league. I mean, these guys are not legit wide receivers you're throwing to. These guys are not getting separation. Uh, so as receivers, you know, with, with all these timing patterns, you know, they're playing some of these short routes. Some of the guys that he hasn't had time with, like, say, Greg Ward, uh, you know, your three-step drop, you expect your receiver to be at a certain spot. He's running a little bit too far. The timing is off. Uh, then you, you go with his linemen. Obviously, some have been injured. So obviously – I don't, I don't think he feels comfortable. If you look at Lane Johnson not being in offense the last couple of games, he doesn't – like the offense doesn't move correctly without a Lane Johnson. But Carson Wentz, I mean, I think they're trying to simplify things at this moment. I mean, that vertical uh, thing they're talking about with um, uh, Doug Peterson, not having Deshaun Jackson has ruined this offense. But going back to Howie, you got to get – you got to put – your quarterback in a better position to succeed with some vertical weapons. Yeah, I mean, it's you're doing a disservice to your quarterback at this moment. I have more faith in Carson Wentz at this moment than I do with Doug Peterson's play calling. His play calling has been ineffective. I mean, he's got to do a better job. It's frustrating to go and watch the rest of the league, whether it's a Monday night game or a Sunday night game. And see these quarterbacks throwing to nobody wide receivers, throwing to guys that I've never even heard of before, throwing to guys that maybe it's their second, third, fourth catch in the NFL, it's in the back of the end zone because the quarterback's going vertical and putting into place where only he can put it. It's frustrating to see that. It was also frustrating to see, Spence, let's, let's fire up that Dan Orlovsky tweet. We're going to get, we're going to, this kind of, like, look, it's not all on Carson. A lot of it has to do with the talent at wide receiver. More specifically, a lot of it has to do with coaching. And Dan Orlovsky did a great little video, put it up on Twitter. It's three plays. I narrowed it down to two because I know the listening audience, like they don't want to listen to two minutes of this stuff with breaking down film. So I'm gonna only going to play the first two plays. But let's take a look at this thing. Let's, let's take it because it, it is important and it's pretty damning on not only the wide receivers, but the coaching that they're receiving. Go ahead. Couple plays in reference to the tweet I sent out about the lack of details by the Eagles receivers. Mike Martz used to say all the time, be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, don't fool the quarterback. First one, Ortega's white side in the slot right here. He's got a looky slant. One of the things that early on young receivers get taught, when you win on a slant, do not drift from the quarterback. Go flat and make the DB go over your back and through the football. Watch Ortega white side in the slot. Okay, you've won. You've won on the inside, perfect. Now. Watch the angle that his head is going at. Ball's getting thrown. The angle that he should be going at flat to make sure this DB can't undercut him and see where he ends up when he starts to drift this way or when from the football. Look at that drift. That is almost a yard and a half drift. It allows Flowers to undercut and get his hand in there. Details force that incompletion. Now let's go to third down to Greg Ward in the slot right here. It's third and five. You've got a six-yard hitch route. Be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. Don't fool the quarterback. Watch how deep he goes. Ball's out the quarterback right now. He's looking. He's looking. 
This guy's not looking for the ball. Ball is out of the quarterback's hands. He's anticipating you're going to sit right there at six yards, third and five, easy completion. Look where the ball lands. Right there. Would be right on his right shoulder, easy completion. Can't fool the quarterback with the lack of details right there. Ball is snapped at the 20-yard line. Route should be run at about the 26-yard line, like the two other re receivers. Incomplete pass. I refuse to believe that these wide receivers are that bad. They've gotten drafted. They put good film on tape in college. Greg Ward, we saw it in the preseason. We saw it in training camp. JJ I mean, was the best of the day. Yeah, J.J. Ortega Whiteside did some things in Stanford that made him a second-round pick. I, I Maybe it was a shock that the Eagles selected him, but to the best of my knowledge, that's kind of around the area, either second or third round, where he was supposed to go. You know what I mean? Mac Hollins is what he is. He wants to be on special teams. Okay, that's fine. But I refuse to believe the wide receivers are that bad. But here we are. It's coaching. Yeah. It's right. coaching. It's also reps as well. Like, these are bottom of the these are bottom you have of the all barrel. Week. But I'm saying these are bottom of the barrel guys. I mean the time the timing thing is a this is a season long this this is stuff you work on in the off season. Now these guys who are bottom barrel guys guys who would, Jordan Matthews wasn't even on the roster. I mean so from a timing aspect, the the whole timing is off with the receivers. And I, he's not comfortable with what he's seeing. Like last week I was talking about. He, the double clutch thing he started doing like but you see when he throws to Ertz but uh it's it's these are the worst receivers in the NFL bro like yeah, and it's they're terrible, and it's they're you, terrible. you go around the league and you get wide receiver envy it's ruined it's ruined watching NFL games for me the last couple of weeks and, that's and, all you know what? I'm glad you said that's that, all I look at because me as well but again I refuse to believe they're that bad when these are coachable techniques they're not crisp routes granted you know, Amari Cooper got kind of shut out the other night. But you want to talk about a guy who runs a crisp route? There's a reason why they run the routes the way they run them. It's designed to get the defender off of you and create a win. Can we blame another Carson? Sure. Carson Wal Walsh? Yeah. <laughs> the wide receiver coach? I mean, what is he, he doing? Like, like, remember when we got rid of Greg? Um, the wide receiver coach went off. The Greg, Lewis. Greg Lewis. Greg Lewis. Lewis. I mean, you guys weren't getting lined up properly. Mm. I mean, we're back at it again with another wide receiver coach who's – he's got guys uh, just not running the right routes, guys the, the, the timings. Maybe you have to get rid of him. Get, get, get rid of everybody. Gail, to touch on, to touch on your, the fact that we don't have players that are getting enough reps, I just want to know, like a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who's been on the team for, I don't know, five years, at what point – is he not like he doesn't have enough reps at this point? I know he didn't play. I mean, I mean, like you're talking about, like when the, the first. I'm saying he's been he's been bad. The all stars get long. stars so get a lot of the reps. Uh, Carson Wells. I mean, uh, Nelson Aguilar is a head case. L a little bit. You want to see? We got a few of them on the side. You, you want to you, you see something else that is absolutely going to positively blow your mind as far as coaching and technique and what's going on with this team? Spence, fire up that Baldy tweet. Fire. Get a load of this one. Oh, this one's going to make you lose your mind. This one is going to make you lose your mind. I know people are saying, well, the Eagles' schedule gets really soft. But this is the Eagles here. J.J. Arcego-Whiteside is coming in motion. Carson's calling him over. Andre Dillard is taking a deep set here against Rashad Green. Arcego-Whiteside's foot trips Andre Dillard, and they both go down. All right, it's just a bad look. Now... 
Carson in the pocket, there really isn't anything down the field. Like, you just can't do that. You can't do this. And he knows it. You can't do that. You can't take your hands off the ball in the pocket and drop the ball. Ever. Like, ever. Like, he knows that. You can't take that ball, two hands off the ball in the pocket. Because that's what happens. It's it's an ugly play. You got these guys tumbling on the ground. But, like, it's just bad football on every level. It's bad. And it has nothing to do with Seattle or the opponent. It's the Eagles doing. It's them. Beating themselves. Look at Jason. Look at Kelsey. been around a long time, man. He's seen bad football. He knows what it looks like. He doesn't want to look at the screen. Come on. You can you can just tell by the body language. You can tell by it. The, there was another coachable sort of technique thing, kind of hidden within that video that Baldy didn't touch on. Nobody's buying that play fake, dude. Nobody's buying that play fake to to uh, to the running back. Nobody's buying. And not only that, okay, bumbling and stumbling over here are tripping all over their feet, and a defensive end goes down. This isn't your blind side, Carson. This is happening right in front of you. This is happening to where, have some peripheral vision. You have to have pocket awareness. There's another thing that concerns me about Carson Wentz. You, all the great quarterbacks have some sort of spidey sense. I don't know, but they have the peripheral vision or the ability to sense when there's people around him. That dude was knocked on his butt, sitting right next to Carson, and on his rear end, all he had to do was go up. Carson's hanging the ball there and knocking. You have to, that is your right side. Yeah. It's not your blind side. You see it. I mean, it's if, right there. If you look at the Chicago Bears game from what the 2017, and when he's got a he's a guy has a guy blitzing at him, and he just spins out of it. I mean, we've seen Carson Wentz have that awareness, so it's it's funny to see him in these situations. But funny from a mechanic from a mechanic issue, like him resetting his feet. Like watch some of the great quarterbacks in this league reset their feet when they're when their progression as they go along in their progression. He's got to get his mechanics right and be ready to throw. And if, if the play's not there, get rid of it. I, you think, know? I, th I think the thing that is um, most frightening to me uh, going forward with this team and just w with the uncertainty about what Carson Wentz and how he's playing, like he used to – we used to like say that his pocket awareness was one of his strongest strengths. Yep. That, used to, that was one of the things – do you remember – everybody remembers and, uh, and loves the Redskins play where he just yep. somehow escaped out of that pile. He had the awareness then, yeah. and now there's no denying it. I mean, there's been a regression in yeah. there. But, I mean, it, it is a tough when you – you know, you, I think Carson Wentz, he sees Brandon Brooks go out. He's like, damn, I know, I know who's coming in next. Yeah, but Lane Johnson, not, uh, Dillard's, you know, rookie playing right tackle who shouldn't be there. Big V comes in there, doesn't give you anything else. That's even worse. But as a professional quarterback in your fourth year, these are things that I expect you – to get over. He needs to have that Mamba mentality and put the team on his back, though. That's what he needs to do. Trox, how long are we into this podcast? 42 minutes. 42. We're going long today. We're going I, long. I, I, I apologize to, to Blen. I apologize to Spence. This is not just session. a podcast. This is a mental health day for me. I apologize. We're going long. We're going long because I need to get it out of my system. Speaking of that. Oh, something we didn't even touch on yet. Oh, we're well, Okay, go ahead. But we'll get there. <laughs> Uh, let's go to the other side of the ball, and I just want to get you guys' thoughts on uh, being down 17-3 and the defense celebrating in the end zone. I have no issue with it. <sighs> Zero. No I have no issue with it whatsoever. No issue. Okay? That, that, that defense do. is balling. 
I Defense do. is balling right now. They can do whatever they want to sell. You guys are off your rock. Nah, I'm not. Nah, nah, you no, need to get yeah, off the lawn. No, from, from a coaching, from a head coaching, I'm with you. From a head coaching perspective, I feel like you got to keep your team in check. I mean, like you're down 14. Like I don't, I don't need you to get off the field, man. Pretty much. Bad. Like I, I, you, the defense is playing lights out. We get the interception. We're down 10-7. Yeah, but you're celebrating. We get the interception. Down. We're down 10-7. The introx are on the same page. Energy is in the building Brian, right then. With Evan, Evan and Gail are get off the field. As a team, you should get off the field. As a team, hey, you got the ball back. Let's go down there and score points. However. I'm a meaholic. I'm about me all the time. Forget everybody else. I'm going to do me. That's what, it look, that's what it looks like. It looks like that. Like a, a head coach, you're like, dude, you think you think Belichick's letting that happen, bro? Like you're, you're down 14. Get your mind right. Get back to the sidelines. Let's go as a team. I mean, I, obviously they're celebrating because they've done a good job. But That is the only positive part about this team right now is that defense. Take that energy. Hold take, on. Take it down. Take, take, that, take that energy that defense have, and you go turn it to the offense. Go get on them. Like You know what I mean? They get them built up. That's okay, the way. That's what you do. Three versus three. Spence is going to be the tiebreaker. <sighs> I wish I could say something that I can't say on air. But, uh... <laughs> No, I think I agree with Gaia. Like, I just don't. I don't. There's no need. And and as I, you I could see, it. people were blown 14, up on Twitter about it. People, 14, I think it was more 14. like 70-30 it's, it's on not, Twitter. It's not that I don't think the defense isn't balling. I just think that they need to, like Prime said, just direct that energy towards the offense. Like, okay, now you do something. I can, I can see where you're coming from. I can 100% see where you're coming from. I'm not as upset about it as other people. Like, look, the, de- the defense held Tom Brady... And Russell Wilson. Absolutely. I got it right here. They, they held Brady to 190 passing yards. They held Wilson Brady's to washed, 200 yard passing. I, I get it. I get but it. What's it doesn't matter. It and does we it? also held. It doesn't? Obviously, it matters now, but, right. you know. Right. Simba, Simba, wow. I didn't know this was the topic. The defense celebrating in the end zone that was going to turn this whole podcast upside That's down. That's how bad this season is Yo, I didn't know this. Was, that, that was the thing. That was the thing that was going to turn everybody but into. I'm, I swear, there's something probably bubbling in that locker room where the defensive players are like, yo. I mean, you know, Malcolm Jenkins alluded to it on, on terms of, uh, he said, like, turning over the ball. Hey, we can get, we'll take a field goal here and there. But these defensive players are like, dude, you guys are not holding up your end of the bargain. They're not saying it, but they're feeling so it. So at the, at the Christmas party, you think it's going to be like that scene from any given Sunday? I was just getting ready it to say be. that. That's what we need. We I'm, need I'm that here scene for that. from any given who's Sunday. Gonna chop, uh, yeah. Who's going to chop off? Who's going to punch Carson? Exactly who's going to punch Carson? Easy, 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 easy. All right, let's bring it back. I've been, in fo- I've been in football locker rooms where I was on the offensive side of the ball. We were struggling, and the defensive the defense team is looking at us like – you guys suck, bro. Like you guys really. Listen, you Tim can't. Jernigan can literally pick up two wide receivers with his arms and tell them get your stuff together. It's it's and like. What, and what's that gonna do? I mean, <laughs> wake them up. No, I mean that it, it, that, that doesn't help. But I'm saying these guys are professionals. I'm sure they're not saying it. But the thing. Oh, yeah. What about when Jason Peters went over to the sideline and threatened Jake Elliott not to miss any for more field goals? How'd hey, that work out? Hey. Drilled a 61 yarder. Hey. Right, hey. Okay. All right. Let, let, workplace let, violence. Let, I'm let, here for hey. it. <laughs> <laughs> workplace <laughs> violence in the workplace. HR is so, so, so let's bring it back because I'm going in consecutive order to try to make a point that's going to that, that's going to support something that I said in an earlier podcast. Because you take a look at what Dan Orlovsky says, and again, I refuse to believe the receivers are that bad. I don't believe they're good, but I refuse to believe they're, they're that bad. 
I refuse to believe that Carson Wentz's regression is all on Carson Wentz. I refuse to believe that Doug Peterson is putting his quarterback and his offense in the best position to win. I'm looking at that video that Baldy broke down. I'm looking at Andre Dillard playing right tackle. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't help but remember Doug Peterson's press conference the week before. And somebody in the media, I can't remember who, asked him, what challenges are Andre Dillard going to face switching as a rookie from the left side to the right side? And Doug Peterson tried to laugh it off and make, you know, a dad joke. Doug likes to make a lot of gee golly wish dad jokes up there. But he said, instead of looking at his left side, he's going to look at his right side. Do you think we're that? Almost did it. <laughs> Almost did it. Almost did it. Almost got the peacock in trouble. Do you, do you think that we're that stupid? Like, the fans know this is not a good idea. No. The media knows this is not a good idea. Andre Dillard, on Friday, says what... The, the, the media asks him, hey, how's the, tra- how's the transition going, Bubba? And he's like, hey, what, 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 what do you write? What, what hand do you write what with? Hand do you write with? Try writing with your other hand. That's not a vote of confidence from the rookie that you're putting on the right-hand side. Furthermore, what does that say about your depth that you put together Big V, who's supposed to be backing up Lane Johnson? What does that say about the code? The, what does that say about Jeff Stoutland? We want to... Excuse me, I'm getting so fired up, I'm, I'm spitting all over the place. We get so fired up about Deshaun Jackson and Howie Roseman not putting a, a capable backup, having a plan B, having an alternative to Deshaun Jackson, and it can't be that this 30-plus-year-old little skinny wide receiver goes down and the whole offense, the vertical passing game, goes sour. But Lane Johnson goes down and you don't have a capable back. Your best course of action is to put a damn rookie on the other. We know that's a bad idea. He told you it's a bad idea. And you bench it. Like, here's what I'm trying to get to. It's a point that I made earlier. This offense specifically, I think Doug's a good head coach. I like Doug. I think he, But what Doug needs is an outstanding and excellent supporting cast around him. This offense needs a fresh set of eyes in the worst way. In the worst way. Yeah, I'm not Time touching Stoutland, though. Stoutland, he's, he's a good offensive that line Mike coach. Grow what was that? that? Mike Grove, out. Drew Staley, out. But who? Stoutland, out. But who? Can I say something real quick? Can I say something? Can I speak for a second? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his name is. He's out. Yeah, I just think uh, no, Stoutland, Stoutland's staying. Stoutland is staying. But I'm th- who who decided? Did Doug Doug was he the final decision on that? Is that a Howie move? I don't know because I I'm I'm thinking it was I think it was Doug. You know what I mean? But the thing about Dillard, uh, Trey Thomas pointed out, he, he was, was giving away, away passing exactly. and run plays. And as coach a head coach, coach hey, how 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 are you not seeing? These are these are coachable moments, and obviously they pulled them. But we, as a fan base, knew that was the wrong thing going in. As an offensive line coach, how do you not go to your head coach and be like, "Bro, this ain't a good idea, man." Yeah, I feel you. I get where you're coming from. This ain't it. This is a disaster waiting to happen. How, as an offensive line coach, do you not go and and have a frank conversation with your head coach and being like, "Bro, I don't care what you say to the media. It's not as simple as just looking well, to then, your left the, and looking the, to your right." Then could it be a front office thing where they say, "Hey, we want to see him at right tackle." Oh, see okay, what are we you know, going on the Howie thing again? Are we no, blaming but, Howie but for you, this? You, these we are could the, do a whole other show. No, but these are the things that right you now. don't know, that the conversations that you're not hearing behind the scenes that maybe the front office wants to see him there. 
see how it plays there. Something, you know, something's like, going on. There's yeah. something's going on. There's something's the, the there's n- there's no synchro. They're not synchronizing. And it come a lot of this stuff. A lot of what we're seeing. A lot of Carson Wentz's regression. Like we talk a lot about Frank Reich, right, and the play calling. And I'm, I am I am. At first, I kind of, if you remember last year, I kind of poo-pooed it all. Frank Wright going to another team. We'll be just fine, I said. I've been saying it for two years here. I've been saying it for two years over here. I was wrong. I think more importantly than Frank Reich, because he had a lot to do with the offensive play calling and the offensive design, the first scripted 20 or 15 to 20 plays, and the overall offensive game plan. When I look at Carson Wentz, I say, listen, you are married to this guy. You're married to him. You gave up the draft assets. You let Nick Foles walk. You signed him to the big deal. You're married to him, dude. He's yours now. What you need to do is to go out, and I don't know who it is, but you need to find yourself the single best because he misses DiFilippo more than he misses Frank Reich right now. If you look at Carson Wentz's mechanics, he is all over the place. He's throwing off of his back foot. He's not progressing through his read. He's holding the ball low. He has no pocket awareness. This is things that are going to ruin a quarterback if you don't nip this in the bud quickly. Again, it's not Carson's physical talent that worries me. It's not Carson Wentz's health, as much as that has been a concern that worries me. It's the space between here and here. It's all up here. That's what worries me. He needs the best quarterback coach that money can buy to get his fundamentals back on track. The rest will follow. The thing that worries me is like, you know, DiFilippo was hard on Carson Wentz. You know, like, no, listen, can I speak right quick? DiFilippo was hard on Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, it was known that they were back and back, would go back and forth. I don't know if he'd like that. You know, he would, they would have arguing matches. But this is where, you know, Press Taylor comes in. He, he's got a guy he's, he can talk over. And he, a guy who, you know, he, he's not going to get – Filippo is not going to jump on him the way that Press Taylor is. And I think now going into two years without Filippo, you know, Carson Wentz is regressing back to his old ways. And I think, you know, that's concerning. You know, like you got to get a get another guy around, maybe that he respects, that will put him in check. Gail, I'll throw this in your lap uh, on the way on the drive home because I did a lot of driving today, right? On the on the drive back to my house, the show prep for today. A lot of it was in silence, you know, radio off, and thinking to myself and thinking about Carson, thinking about Carson, doing doing what I do a lot of times, thinking about Carson. But I did happen to turn on the radio, and all of a sudden I get these Mike Vick quotes. These Mike Vick quotes. And Gail, I want to throw this in your lap and see if you kind of agree with it, if it jives with you. And Evan, I want you to comment as well. At first, I didn't know the context of it. I just heard the audio of it, right? And I didn't. I thought maybe this was a one-on-one interview. And I was like, wow, this is very frank and very upfront. Let's put some context into it. If you haven't seen the video, it's on, I believe, FS1. On one of those panel shows that notoriously will be a little hot takey, right? It's a hot takey mm-hmm. show. Quoting Michael Vick regarding Carson. He will fail in Philadelphia. The bar has been set so high by Nick Foles. Regardless of when he came in, Foles did what he did and won the Super Bowl. The ceiling has been set. Along with Carson Wentz's character, which has been questioned by his teammates and the public, it makes it difficult for him. I think he's fighting an uphill battle week in and week out. To win, to be a good teammate. It's a lot. It takes a lot to learn. Whoop, I just I just lost it here. It, t- it takes a lot. Uh, it takes a lot from you to handle that responsibility. 
You got a uh, guy in Nick Foles who's probably going to be go down as one of the all-time greats in Philadelphia history, and you have to chase that. That is difficult. Gail, what are your thoughts on Michael Vick's comments? Well, I mean, the, the whole answer to the whole question of, like, will he fail? Like, will he fail for the season? Will he fail for the rest of his career is kind of, like, where are they getting at? But it was a lot of words from Mike Vick, a guy who's played in Philadelphia. So I was a little concerned that I, maybe he's stirring the pot, but, like, He's he's boys with he's boys with Deshaun Jackson when he talked about like him in the locker room. I'm thinking like, is he getting some little intel here? But uh, it's I don't I don't think Carson Wentz is gonna fail for the rest of his career. I think if you don't get better rep- weapons around him and you don't design this whole offense to make him shine, yeah, uh, you're setting up him you're setting him up for failure. You know, like the same I go back to Donovan McNabb. We knew the fan base, everybody knew that they needed a wide receiver. You didn't get him one until T.O. You went to the Super Bowl, finally, you got him a good weapon. So, I mean, if you don't get weapons in here for Carson Wentz, it's, it's going to be a bad scene. Evan, what are your thoughts on those comments? I think that uh, some of them were hot takey, but I also think that some of them were kind of right on the uh, nail on the head. I mean, he is fighting an uphill battle. The bar has been set really high by Nick Foles. If we just step forward 15, 20, I don't know how much time Carson Wentz is going to spend in Philadelphia, how long his career is going to be here, but if we get to that point and then move 10 years forward from that point and we look backwards and Nick Foles is the only quarterback that had gotten us a Super Bowl, how, how are we going to compare the two? I mean, the bar was set high, and um, – I mean, he still has plenty of time right now. He just needs the tools around him to be able to prove Mike Vick wrong. I don't think it's necessarily impossible, but I think that he's got a long way to go, and he has a lot of changing to do. I uh, put this on Twitter because I couldn't stop thinking about it once again on my drive home. I agree with all the opinions supporting the statement. I don't agree with the statement. And I'll, I'll circle it right back around to my original point about Carson Wentz. I, there's not a quarterback in NFL history that can relate to the adversity that this guy has gone through in his first four years. It is so unique. And I've seen more, t- not, again, more not more talented, but talented, up-and-coming, high-draft-pick quarterbacks get rattled by less. So I don't think failure is certain. I don't think success is certain. I think what the Eagles do moving forward, hopefully the last five games, a little bit of a confidence pick-me-up. Playoffs are out of the picture for me. I don't care. I'm not. No, nah, I'm done with the playoffs. Use the last five games as a confidence builder for Carson Wentz and this offense to get some cohesion, end on a high note, and in the offseason, it is imperative that you not only surround him with the weapons that you talked about, Gail. It's not only important to talk, you know, to get him around the offensive line like you touched on. It's important to get him the correct coaching to fix his mechanics, get this guy right back on track, because once again, you are married to this quarterback. How about we do a little bit of fan rants? Because it's not only me that's been ranting long and, and cutting Gail off and everything like that. I apologize, Gail. Sometimes I get a little, uh, little heavy. Sometimes I get a little heavy. But go ahead. Let's get, let's get, uh, let's get the first rant, fan rant up. So I'm going to talk about this conversation. Okay. Carson Wentz. I love the people my fellow Eagle fans that want to sit there and continuously trash our starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. It's pretty disgusting. I'm going to be honest with you. 
But um, I like to make excuses. I don't. I don't like to make excuses. But when you're working with Jordan Matthews, just signed him two weeks ago. Jordan Matthews, okay? Okay, you're working with yesterday, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. What's he done all year for us? I, I, I agree with the sentiment. I would urge you to be careful. All right, because he's got the hat on. He's got, <laughs> he's got, well, it's true. That's an excellent point. Excellent observation by you. Right? I um, like that. He is, I know who you're speaking about, and that's the constant Carson Wash, Carson Wash, Carson Wentz bashers, the haters, the detractors, the Folesian society, whatever you want to call them, the people who can't wait to see Carson Wentz fail so their crappy takes on the timeline gets proven right. I know who you're talking about. Do not think that Carson Wentz is above criticism. He is absolutely not. He played arguably his worst game of the year. The crowd fed on that. The crowd booed him off the field, both at halftime and at the end of the game. Booed him on the field, too. On and off. On and off. Uh, listen, Carson Wentz is not above criticism. Uh, I, would be, I, would, I, would just have, I know who you're talking about. Not specifically, but the, but the group, the small, very vocal minority. But Carson Wentz deserves to be criticized deserves to be criticized because as much as we broke down that Dan Orlovsky tape as much as we broke we, we showed you that Brian Baldinger tape listen it wasn't coaching that threw behind Zach Ertz that killed that first drive didn't hit him in stride it wasn't coaching that or, or his receivers that made Carson Wentz overthrow a screen pass in the worst possible way that I've ever seen somebody like eat. a mile above it's his he, head it's the sailor we talked about yeah, dude it wasn't it's even close that's not on the wide receivers that's on Carson. And honestly, so is that fumble that killed the third drive because he's got to have better ball protection. He's got to have better pocket awareness. Let's, uh, let's hop on to the next one. Hey, you guys at 4th and John. This is too predictable. I am tired of this dinking and dunking offense that I can predict from my living room couch. I tweeted yesterday that they need to run the ball with a Jai. Why do you pick him up and then not run him in the game? It makes no sense to me. There's problems all around. It's a team effort. There's something lacking. This offense or defense isn't exciting anymore. Pick the ball off, catch the ball, and score some seven points. Thank you. Go Bird! I like I, I like that from Nick there. I, I think that you got to run the ball. You did, one way to protect Carson Wentz from himself at this moment with the outside receivers that he has, run the ball. I mean, Miles Sanders, a guy who's averaging over five yards to carry, like stick to the running game. We've talked about numerous times on this podcast about the numbers you hit when you, you win football games around here when you run the ball. I mean, you're doing a disservice to Carson Wentz having him step drop back 45 times with. Matt Pryor and Big V falling on on their on their butts, and you know, like I think Carson Wentz. I think you could run that play action with, when you got a successful running game. So dial up the run. I agree. I agree. Let's hit that third one. Whose fault it is? It's everyone's fault. It's not just one guy. It's not just the quarterback. It's not just Wentz. It's not just Doug Peterson. It's Howie Roseman. It is Doug Peterson. It's Carson Walsh, the receivers coach. It's obviously Mike Groh, who got fired by his dad. Um, 
It's Carson Wentz. It's the offensive line. It's injuries. It's the receivers being practice squad players. It's a multitude of reasons. It's the defense not making the plays it needed to against the Falcons earlier this year. It's the receivers not making the plays they needed to earlier this year. If we would have won those games, we wouldn't be in this position. It's a bunch of reasons, not just one guy. You would not have wanted Carson Wentz to be gone after the first five games of this year. He was playing very, very well. Very well. And things happen. Thank you, Kyle. And I appreciate you checking in. And I appreciate you hitting on all the points that needed to be said. Honestly, I, I said it in the beginning of the show. This isn't one single solitary thing we can point to and say that this is why the Eagles are not performing the way they should be. It is a multitude of things. It's the, it's the personnel around Carson. It's the coaching. It's all... It's Carson's play itself. Everything is is not working. Absolutely agree. I, I know we're running extremely long on this podcast, and I thank Ben and Spence for hanging on. Give me your top three Twitter questions because I just want to bang these out, okay. do our shout-outs, and get the hell out of here. All right. David Johnson wants to know, which loss hurt worse, Patriots or Seahawks? Oh, God. Consi- yeah. Considering two of the uh, three biggest games so far this season – and the defense has been outperforming the offense by a mile. What do you think? I think I think the win against the Patriots would have been a better confidence booster. Carson Wentz beating Tom Brady, just like Nick Foy. Yeah, granted, it's a completely different situation, but I do think that's a confidence booster. Um, I think that was a more winnable game. That's the one that hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's the Patriots. For me, it was the Seahawks because watching them lose the way they did in two consecutive games mm. when the game was – Right there in our hands, and just just it was just a really bad vibe at the link. I, I haven't I haven't had that vibe in a long time. I I haven't seen fans that you know people were leaving with like 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's a, that's a true story. I mean, this is Philadelphia, like where fans are like in their seats, but 11 minutes in the fourth quarter and people are leaving. Prime, tell the story about the tickets that were empty next to you. Because you had some empty seats next to you. This was a little shocking to me. I had four seats that were available. Um, I started off there in the beginning of the game. The tickets were going for 150 on StubHub. And every possession I would check, and they started dropping down. The first drop was down to $95. Hmm. Then they kept dropping down $10, and the person seemed like he stopped at 75 And they nope. didn't get nowhere because nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. It breaks my heart to know that they – now, granted – I mean, like, take a look at the 4th and John Twitter. Take a look at my Twitter. Take a look at the uh, pictures from the tailgate. Shout out to everybody who showed up for the tailgate. That was cold. It was miserable. It was rainy. Yet you still had the diehards out there partying. Having a good time. Having a good time. So salute to you guys. But it does, when I I pack up the tailgate and meet all those people, some of the guys were from Hawaii, some guys were from Texas, Canadian. Uh, There was a few from Las Vegas. Um... When I pack it up and I go into the stadium and I see lower level empty seats, breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Give me another one. Sean Gordon wants to know, and uh, we're taking another trip down memory lane. Maybe this is the time when you've heard the crowd like this before. If the Eagles don't turn this around, which team was a bigger disappointment? The 2011 Dream Team or the 2019 Eagles? Oof. <laughs> I think this uh, uh, this one 
This one because there's a there there's a precedent set. That's what stings the most about this. You know, the Eagles fans will always go post before Super Bowl, post Super Bowl. I think you'll agree with me with this one. So there's a precedent set. What do you think, Gail? I'm going uh, this team. I had super high hopes. Uh, you know, the team was stacked. Injuries. We got riddled with injuries. I just I just I've never seen a team like this, in like injured, like. It's like who who wants to get hurt next? We sold our soul to the devil for the <laughs> Super Bowl. We sold our soul. Never dance to the with football. the devil in the pale moonlight. We sold our soul to the football devil for a Super Bowl, and this is what it's costing us: injury, injury, injury. By the way, poor Brandon Brooks. Like yeah. things are so bad that dude had a relapse in his anxiety attack. Credit to him for being a man and stepping up and explaining his condition yeah. and going through it. You know, you ha- it just goes to show that this anxiety thing, this panic attack thing. It can happen to anybody. Here's a massive. I mean, this this dude. I have a picture with him. He has to bend over just to get in frame with me. Here's this massive mountain of a man who's supposed to be macho and battle through it and battle, and he's having these anxiety attacks. And it, I give him the the most credit in the world for being a man, standing up, talking about it, being honest and being frank and explaining his situation. Uh, but it just sucks that you know there's so many injuries and there's so much going on that this team it's depressing us. He's having panic attacks. Over yeah, there. And he mentioned that like having Lane Johnson not being there helped uh, bring on the anxiety and the big contract as well. Uh, but you know, in college I had a I had actually had a teammate who had the same thing. Like before every game would throw up just uncontrollably. He'd have to get an IV. It was like the most bizarre thing ever. And then. You see him like yakking his brains out, and then he's like fighting in the fourth quarter with the rest of the team. That's like the guys that are like fighting like that just to get on the field. The the kind of heart they have to do, ha- have to have to like be on the field. So hats off to you, Brandon Brooks. Uh, you know we're always gonna support you. I mean there's there's fans who will you know bark out there, but the real ones will support you. Well said, Gil. The real ones will support him. Absolutely. We got one more. Yeah, uh, Chris Br- uh, Blaylock wants to know. You have to choose five players on the team right now for the future. Who are they? Carson Wentz, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Miles Sanders, Brandon Brooks. Oh, geez. Um, That's a good answer, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I think you wrapped that one up. That's good. All right. Neither one of the tight ends? No Zach Ertz, huh? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> listen! Uh, like I could go interchangeably with Zach Ertz, but like he named some really good ones. I mean, like those are your foundational guys, right there. Yeah, yeah Zach Studs. Ertz would be another good one. I don't know who I'm bumping oh, off that list. I don't know who I'm bumping off that list to make room for Zach Ertz. But uh, yeah, that, that that all those were excellent questions. We appreciate the fan rants. You know, we know that takes up time, and we know we appreciate you sending in your Twitter questions. Real quick, shout-out before we get on out of here. Shout-out to Concha Hawk and Bakery. As always, the tomato pies, all the food that they supply for the tailgates. Amazing. Unbelievable. The great thing about those tomato pies, man, is even if it's cold out, they still taste just as good. It's delicious. And and, and honestly, when I first started bringing the tomato pies, when Concha first said people were kind of like, 
you know, the, the people would take a slice here, take a slice there. Now it's like the pies are here. Take a picture because this thing is getting carved up, and they're, the, the they're food gone. is completely gone. Shout out to Bud Light as always for supplying the tailgate with the beer, Monster Energy drink. Glad I can have this on the counter. I can have this on the desk here and uh, not feel uh, kind of self-conscious about it. They supplied beverages to the tailgate as well. In fact, 20 cases of Monster, dude. They rolled up to my house in the big old Monster truck, dropped it off. My kid thought it was like a a monster truck he wanted to climb into it awesome job by you guys thank you so much uh the philly sports show uh it's coming in december again you can meet and take photos and get autographs from some of your favorite um iverson iverson i think that's who we're getting the picture with i think we're going to get a picture with iverson oh. making gail's day i put it in group chat i'm like all right guys who's it gonna be and everybody unanimously chose from an eagles podcast a Philadelphia 76er. Gotta love it. That's the kind AI, of... AI, bro. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a legend. He's a legend. Mm. Um, Ricky Waters. Shout out to Ricky Waters real quick, making uh, the top 25 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, deserved both a great 49er during those Super Bowl teams and, of course, you know, as a Philadelphia Eagle. One of my favorite I know, players. Yeah, listen, I know we'll always remember the for who, for what. The man was ahead of his time. The man was ahead of his time, and honestly, I wish some of those rule changes would have been back, uh, in pl- like in place back during those days. Maybe we'd have guys like Andre Waters still with us today. I wore number twelve in high school because of Ricky Waters for one year. And lastly, before we get on out of here, Spence, get ready for pictures. I want to give a very special shout out to uh, some of you know him from the tailgates. All right, maybe a lot of you don't know him out there in social media, but my younger brother, Frank. We call him Big. Uh, last Monday, uh, a week from yesterday, uh, the he gave birth. He didn't give birth. Okay. <laughs> he looks great. I, I, yeah, he looks great, man. He said, "Look at that figure." He snapped back, right? Snap <laughs> back is real. Wait till he hears this. Yeah. Well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to him right afterwards. Uh, those are his two uh, lovely, beautiful, ba- healthy baby girls. So congratulations to him and Rachel. They're enjoying uh, their first Eagles loss. Uh, this is I, two future know, tailgate this legends. Is, right there. This is a two future tailgate legends. Put them back. Put them back. Yo, they, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> two future tailgate legends. But just know that the uncles are gonna be there. Not only Uncle E Rock, but Uncle Prime, Uncle Trox, Uncle Gale, and Uncle Evan are gonna be looking over for over you, making sure you're gonna you're gonna behave yourself. Absolutely. You teach better believe him, that. Teach them how to make. And that roll. is a tradition. <laughs> In the Emmanuel family, for when you are born to wear your Eagles gear and take your four, first L as a baby, because once upon a time, <laughs> circa 1982, pull it up. No. I don't sit there, no. baby, E-Rock. <laughs> And I gotta watch Eagles this team with his football <laughs> rattle. Just shocked. Look at the look on his face. And my mother told me that was a loss after the Dallas Cowboys. I already hated the Dallas Cowboys that early on. That's why. That's why I am such a Cowboys hater. Cause right there, baby E Rock taking his first L in his uh, Philadelphia Eagles onesie. It is an Emmanuel family tradition. We didn't sign up for this crap. We were born into it. So we appreciate you tuning in. This was a therapy session for me. Hopefully, Gail, it was a therapy session yeah, for you. I'm in, I'm in a weird place right now. Dude. I am. I am still depressed. So. Emotionally, we are so invested as a fan base for them to be performing the way they're performing is depressing. Evan, I hope you're having uh, whatever, dude. I mean, I, I, 
I know you're wow. just shaking your head. They're, 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 well, there's not. What, what do you say? What are you, you going to say? What are you going to say? We appreciate you guys tuning in. Until next time, let's go, birds, and we will see you next week right here at NBC Sports Philadelphia Studios with Fourth and John. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.